Strategic Living with Brian Holmes, episode number 103, What to Do When You're Going Through Hell, an interview with my great friend, Mike Massa. Hi, this is Ray Edwards from RayEdwards.com, and you're listening to Brian Holmes, one of my favorite people and certainly one of my favorite podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. My name is Brian Holmes, and you have found the Strategic Living Podcast, where we are all about transforming minds, developing leaders, awakening dreams, activating destinies, and yes, I believe we can actually change the world. It's our desire to see you healed and your mind renewed and transformed. We want to come alongside of you and help you discover who you really are and become engaged in everything that God has given you to do. It's going to be an incredible program today. What a delight to have my dear friend in studio. And we're talking about how to to deal with life circumstances in difficult times. It's going to be a great help to you. Let's get started, everybody. Well, thanks for being here today on the program. It's just fantastic to uh, continue this journey with you, episode 103. And uh, today is going to be really special. You know, over many years of working with people as a pastor, as a coach, as a mentor, as a trainer, I've been privileged in different seasons to come alongside of so many people who were at a certain time in their life experiencing very difficult circumstances. Uh, We've seen people who have lost husbands or wives or other loved ones. Some have lost children. Uh, We've seen and worked with people who have experienced financial difficulties and maybe even financial ruin, the catastrophic loss of a business. We've had some people in our lives who have gone through circumstances where their children made a tragic decision, a tragic choice in a moment of weakness, and it changed forever the course of their life. We've had to to help people with that. And Sabrina and I, my wife and I personally have been through experiences with both family and with friends you know, I, we have family members that are not well in their bodies and struggling with various uh, diseases and, and issues that have really been a struggle. We have very dear friends who have died of cancer at very young ages. There's just so many examples we could give. But the truth is, life has a way of bringing to us circumstances and situations that we cannot explain. And these are things that oftentimes leave us with more questions than with answers. Sometimes it, it even causes us to question God, his love for us. And, you know, I've heard people say, if God loves us, why would he allow this to happen? Well, today I think it's important we talk about this because there are so many people that are going through difficult things right now. And my desire is that someone who's listening to this show finds hope and finds encouragement as we look at this very real and very common occurrence in life. And that is that difficult times will come. The question is, how will you process them? How will you walk through them? What will be your resolve and your determination? What will you rely on? What will you lean on during those times? And that brings me to our guest today. I'm telling you, this gentleman is one of my most treasured relationships, one of my dearest friends. And it's an honor to have him in the studio with me. Mike Massa is the president of Convergence Ministries. He has pastored for many, many years 
in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He is an adjunct professor at Christ for the Nations here in Dallas, and just overall is an incredible mind, an incredible heart. Uh, I would say he's a theologian and a scholar, but he has an incredible heart for people as I do. And uh, today, I, I want to share with you the incredible story that is behind this man, because in the last 12 to 18 months, he has gone through hell. He has experienced hell knocking at his door and and truly uh, walked through times that all of us together thought, man, is this even going to, is it going to work out? So Mike, today, I'm, I'm honored, man. Thanks for coming and being with me on the program, and, and let's talk about this today. Well, thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit. Give us a backdrop, going back, I guess, maybe gosh, a little over a year now, as to when you began to see some things happen in your life, and, and just kind of give us the story. Well, it started off uh, quite uh, simply. I just didn't have as much appetite as I typically did, and just wasn't eating as much. Began to experience, if I could be a little uh, <laughs> straightforward. Come on, man, you're talking to me. You can say whatever you want to say here. It's good. Um, my GI tract wasn't working right, and I had a lot of pain, gas. I mean, it, it got to where it was like somebody sticking a knife in my gut, especially in the evenings. And uh, I first went to the doctor. Finally, my wife, Nancy, was grateful. I finally got some expert to look at it. And he diagnosed me simply as having a bacteria overgrowth, gave me some antibiotics, and some of that was alleviated. But a month later, it was this was last November, mm-hmm. little little less than a year ago, this, the pain started coming back. So I went back to him, and he touched my upper left abdomen, and in three seconds said, we need a CAT scan. I had a CAT scan that day, came back the next day, and he said, you've got a mass about five or seven inches tall and about 11 inches wide. I don't know if it's uh, malignant or not but it's hard as a rock and we need to deal with this. So that was my first awareness that it was more than just, you know, my GI tracts not mm-hmm. working right. And let's just insert right here that those of you who don't know Mike, and that's pretty much all of you, Mike's healthy. He, he walks, he works out. He's never, ever had any issues with his health in his lifetime. And he's older than I am. So he's, he's in his fifties, sixties, sixties, excuse me. I was trying to give you some, I was trying to, I was trying to front you a couple of years, brother. Come on. Sure. Uh, but he's in his 60s and just the epitome of health at this point, and then he right. gets this news. Yeah, it was it was so contrary to everything I've known physically uh, and just that sense of well-being the doctors talk about. I have never been without that, but now I did not have that well-being. Our youngest son was getting married in December, so I asked the doctor, I said, look, uh, what do you think? He said, well, it's likely malignant, but you've got a wedding coming up and I was going to do the wedding late in December. And so he said, let's just wait until January to address it. So I did the wedding and I wasn't, I survived by the grace of God, the wedding, but I wasn't doing well. And January 1st, my wife and my oldest son said, we're going to take you to the emergency room. And I was thinking they were going to simply check me out, give me some medicine and send me home. But my blood calcium level well, I'll say it this way. If your blood calcium number is 17, you're in a coma. And my number was 18 and a half. Mm. So they didn't know how I even walked in there, much less, much less was cognizant and awake. 
So in 30 minutes, I'm in ICU mm-hmm. and eight days in uh, the hospital, uh, and I get my first round of chemo. So they tell me the fourth day I'm there, they said, you were 48 hours away from dying. And I had no idea I was in that bad a shape. Well, I, I walked through some of that with you, yeah, you even, even before the hospital yeah. piece. And I just to throw this detail in there, in the months of September, October, November, during the, the times when you were having this gastrointestinal issue, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who began losing weight. And we were like, he wasn't dieting. He wasn't trying to lose weight. But we were watching him sort of you know, whittle away a little bit. And we're like, something's going on here. And then of course the, the diagnosis and then the subsequent time of, of the wedding and waiting off, but you came to a real crisis place, yeah. like dangerous crisis. Very close. I, I was about 215 pounds when it started and I lost over 70 pounds. So o- over a third of my body weight was going away. Unbelievable. And, and when I looked myself in the mirror, Brian, I was offended at my body. Uh, you know, you see pictures from the wars about mm. people who are refugees in a POW camp and how they're just skin and bones. That's where I got to. And it was, it was offensive to look in the mirror. Yeah. Let me ask you a hard question here. And I know you'll be honest because that's the kind of relationship you and I have. But I mean, when, when an individual is faced with, and in your case, it was the, the real potential of malignant cancer. Yes, sir. And, and going in in a condition where you could die irrespective of the cancer because you were, your, your blood levels were not right. Correct. But, but that's, that's cancer. M- maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a child that dies prematurely. Maybe it's whatever that is. When, when someone receives that kind of information, there is the natural propensity to immediately be overcome with fear. Mm-hmm. That's one emotion and or state of mind that seems to want to prevail. But there's also the the other things of confusion and questioning and, and what what could I have done different? And there's just a thousand things that I'm sure had to be going through your mind. What I know you were physiologically incoherent in, in dealing with that, but in your mind, I know there was a war going on. What was that like? The I think the, the, the thing you're saying to me is what is the base internally from which we address this yeah. information? Yeah. Where, and you know, Jesus talks about if you build your house on the rock, when the storm hits, it still stands. Mm-hmm. But if it's built on sand, then no house stands. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a biblical picture, but the but the that example is helpful because for me, when I heard this information, there were several factors that were so helpful. Number one was I was convinced that the Lord did not give this to me. We mm-hmm. can talk more about that, but... Uh, I, I was absolutely persuaded that God didn't make me sick, that God didn't give me the cancer. Right. Uh, number two, in my own relationship with the Lord, He's where I went. Even before I knew them, even before I knew the malignancy, the the pain was so severe some nights, Brian, that I was three, four hours at a time with this knife in my gut, nonstop, mm-hmm. and. I had never, ever experienced anything like it. So uh, even Nancy, I wasn't even telling her how bad it was. And I'm, I'm in the, another bedroom because I don't want to bother her. And I'm just groaning like a lady having a baby. But it, it, was, it was as severe as anything going on. So certainly I'm getting assaulted. But where I'm going is my internal 
base in the Lord. My the in my heart, there's this, Lord, you didn't give this to me. I need you to talk to me. And so when you're in that kind of pressure, your prayers get real simple and <laughs> and and real focused. Right, right. And and I had no accusation. Somebody asked me in an interview like this one a few months ago, did you ever get upset at God? I said, no, because I knew he didn't give it to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why or how come or what, but I wasn't, I didn't have this hidden motive in me that was wondering about him. Mm-hmm. Had he done something and snuck up on me some way? That, that's, that wasn't there. What, what I'm hearing you say in this, and that speaks to several issues in that particular point, um, is that in crisis places, in difficult times, it's it's going to reveal where we're grounded. Exactly. One right. way or the other. Exactly right. And, and I'm, I've known you for a number of years, and we've had a very, very close relationship and, yes. and continue to. Yes. Uh, and I say this not tongue-in-cheek and not joking. Mike Massa is one of the most genuine Christians and and followers of Jesus that I've ever known. And in fact, I I... I want to emulate your life in so many ways, and I've watched you. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that that's where you go. I would hope that under the same circumstance, I would go there. Yes. But I I would say this, when the pressure is on, Mm. (laughs) the the reality, you know, I want to. I want to just. Well, we're always blunt on this program, but a lot of people who profess Jesus have a a religious experience based on a prayer that was prayed and possibly church attendance and membership and faithful service there and what have you, but may or may not have the the day-to-day, authentic, genuine, heart-level, for real, down-and-dirty relationship with the one who created us yes. to the point where when that thing comes, it, it's not a matter of whether or not we we believe in Jesus, but it's a matter of, is our faith grounded there? Exactly right. Exactly right. And so what do you say? Obviously, we don't wish anyone to go through difficult no, times, but no. difficult times will come. Right. How, how do we, on the front end of this, let's say, how do we, outside of, and you know what I'm going with this, outside of the context of what we commonly refer to as the Christian experience, right. but on a more intimate, personal level, how do we ensure that that our heart, our inner man is grounded there. What, what are the things that are important in doing that? That's an excellent question. And, you know, as you as a pastor serving in that way, I have served that way. We see people's lives in these crisis moments mm-hmm. time and time again. And it, it goes down to, do I really accept that he is God, not just the concept, mm-hmm. But, but know him, and he is knowable and makes himself known to us. But then practically, when he speaks, he says, if you believe in your heart that what I've said, and then say it with your mouth, not as a machine, but as a living reality. We know when you started loving Sabrina, you didn't keep it to yourself, you told her. Right, exactly. And, and when the Lord's words come into our hearts, and we begin to believe them, we say them back. And... So when, when we see this promise in the scripture or we hear this word of encouragement, do I really believe it? And and that's not just a mechanical thing because like you said, when the pressure hits, if it's real or not in me, it's going to show. Yeah. yeah. I there was a I'm reminded of a lady I met years ago back in the eighties 
when I first began to pastor, and she'd had cancer on her face, and her nose and one of her eyes was just removed, and it was a raw, open hole in her face. Mm. She's a very strong lady, and one day she, I'd never met her before, I'd heard about her, and she asked me to come to her house, her little apartment, living off welfare, her monthly check, and they told me, She's got a prosthesis that she wears, you know, kind mm-hmm, of a mm-hmm. fake nose and eye that she wears to keep you from being. Brian, when I came to her door, she wasn't wearing the mask. Mm. So there's this red, raw hole where her nose and one eye were. And I've got one eye with this big hole. And she goes, hello, Brother Mike, come in. Mm. I met with Joanne for about a year and a half every week going to see her. She blessed me more than I blessed her. We would talk. We'd pray together. She made, she, there was two things she did that blew me away, Brian. One statement. And, and she's got, I'll be, I'll be explicit. The whole, there are cancer cells leaching, leaking out of this hole mm. in your face. She's in utter agony. Can you even fathom the cold air hitting that raw? It, it stunned me. But one day she looked at me with her one good eye, and she said, Brother Mike, it's really difficult to build your house on the rock after the storm starts. Mm. But she was supposed to have been dead years earlier, so her faith was very stalwart. But the, the, one of the last times I met with her before she passed away, she was going blind in her one good eye. I'm on my knees in her vinyl linoleum floor with her plastic-covered sofa, and I'm praying. And in her slippers, shuffling across the linoleum, with her blind eye, she follows the trail of my voice, comes over and lays hands on me and prays for me. Mm. There's nothing like a lady's faith who's in, she's in the throes of death and she knows it, but she's still got a heart to bless. Yeah. And I think Jesus is thrilled with that kind of fearless, I don't care what you throw at me, devil. I am still going yeah. to trust the Lord. And that goes back to, He's God. His word is true. I do accept what he says is true, and I am not afraid. I am not intimidated yeah. to express my confidence in him. Yeah. You know, I, I've just recently, and I want to be careful uh, to to not reveal who this is, but recently through some common relationships, Sabrina and I met a lady who, less than a year ago now, got sick with pneumonia, type mm. A. Mm. And it was very deadly in the hospital. She was very sick. Uh, in fact, gave her a very small chance to live. During that time, uh, various things began to happen with her body, and her her uh, extremities began to be mummified. She wound up losing mm. fingers, losing mm. a leg. This is a 40-year-old wow. woman. Wow. Incredible health, incredible life. In fact, what happened was the how they treated her, her body rejected it. Oh. And that's what caused the, the reaction. And... Uh, but this long and short, she she's we, we've been with her and some of her family recently, and you know the prosthetic leg, the the inability to to pick up a drink like I'm holding here in my hand sure. right now, and sure. various things like that. And I, and and it's those kinds of people who have things happen, no fault of their own, correct? No way to predict it, no way to know what's coming down the pipe, and and yet what's blown me away is her resolve just to say you know this is this is 
I mean, no doubt there's internal things going on that need to be healed and reconciled and what have you. But the truth is, is that I see in her the same kind of thing you're talking about. There, there is a genuine peace there that is not only sustaining her through this transition into a life that she didn't ask for, you know, without some limbs. Correct. But a faith that is, I don't know what the reason for this is. You know, I asked her, I said, when are you going to write your book? And she looked at me and she goes, you know what? And I expected her to say, what do you mean write a book? She <laughs> says, you know what? I haven't started it yet, but I already know I need to do that. Mm. And I told her, I said, you're going to be speaking on platforms. There, there are people that need to hear your story sure. because sure. life happens. Yeah, yeah. But the question is, how do we go through it? Let's go back to you and your story now. Uh, you went in the hospital January 1. Correct. And uh, firsthand, I can say, I know the kind of help. In fact, there may be some things about that experience that I remember that you don't. That's very likely because I, I was not all there. I, I remember distinctly you being literally just in another place yeah, I was, and mentally I was out of it many days. Yeah. And, and, but as, as you began to, to come through that, what was a, in the sense of not just physiologically, but just when did you feel the turn? When did you know that, okay, whatever this thing is, and I ha, I still can't put my finger on what it is or where it came from, but whatever it is, I can sense that it's, it's, there is another side of this that I know now I can get a hold of. Yes, because for a while you had you had to have wondered, gosh, is this ever going to end? That that turning point actually occurred before the hospital. After, really, after the CAT scan, and I knew there was this verifiable mass in my body, in my abdomen, mm-hmm. left front upper quadrant. I knew it was there. I could feel it. And now, when the pain comes, I know the source. And I remember the night I was in bed. I covered myself up with a sheet, and I said, Lord. There's not one record of anybody coming to you with physical problem, a mental problem, a spiritual. There's not one record of anybody coming to you. Rich, poor, blind, whatever. Nobody's ever come to you with their heart open and you turn them away. Yeah. And you're not turning me away. And somehow, Brian, (laughs) under that cover, something rose up in my spirit and said, I'm with you. And I knew, now that's, I'm, I've still got in front of me 48 hours away from dying that I know nothing about at that point. But I knew, I knew the Lord had met me <laughs> under the sheet. Yeah. And he, I remember the moment Jesus came to me under that bed sheet and said to me, I'm, I'm with you. Brian, the next day, Nancy and I are talking, we're praying, and she looks at me eye to eye, heart to heart. And she says, we're going to get through this. Yeah. So it's not just, it's not, wasn't just, it's a critical thing. You all in a storm, if there's somebody who can be in the boat with you, Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, you, the Lord could still be there if, if you happen to be alone, but if you can find a, a buddy, a friend, a brother, a sister, who's got the same fiery desire to walk with you through it, that, can be amazing. And my wife, Nancy, was absolutely... Yeah, she was solid. Un- unwavering. Yep. No question about it. But that moment, Brian, under the sheet, that was really the turning point for me. And even though I the the pain got worse in some ways, and I still heard the doctor say, you're 48 hours from dying before I really knew what was going on a month later. But I still, I the the stability for me was the Lord told me, 
we're going to get through this. Mm. And that's where I stood for to anything that came my way, any information, medically, physically, whatever, it had to go through that filter. The Lord said, yeah, we're going to yeah. get through this. You know, I know we're speaking to a lot of people who are consider themselves Christians and believers. There's probably a number of people listening to this podcast that may or may not have uh, an experience with the God we're talking about. Right. Uh, we're we're not ones to shove anything down anybody's throat, but I will tell you this: you you can hear and you can sense in this conversation that there is a measure of hope and and substance and life that when you're going through hell, when yeah. you're faced with unreasonable circumstances, yeah. there there is something to say <laughs> about having a relationship with God yes, to sir. to sustain you. Yes, sir. And I talk a lot on this program about you know it's very important to know what God says about you because we are handed from the time we're small children all the way through our lives. We're handed a thousand things that we could believe about ourselves Mm -hmm. through life circumstance, through models that we see through words that people speak to us, maybe through our parents, whatever the case may be, certainly through places like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I tell you, if you can get a, and I use this word, I, I suppose it's a bit of Christianese, but if you can get a revelation yes, sir, of what, the one who made you knows about you. Exactly. Then in these places, it gives you something to stand on. That's it. I was going to verbatim. When the, the Bible says that we live by the words that come out of his mouth, and that's just a spiritual statement until he opens the ear of your heart and you hear it. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a scripture verse. Right. If, if, right. The, if the one who made us, the one who loves us, can communicate through, look at the birds, I take care of them, I'll take care of you. In whatever way I can hear, there's something to stand on that doesn't move, that doesn't rattle, that doesn't vibrate, that doesn't fall over when I'm in the middle of a pressure place. I want to shift gears on you here a little bit. Uh, You know, you and I both have dealt with so many examples of people who hit serious brick walls, not even bumps in the road, brick walls. Uh, major catastrophic places. And uh, I I have met a lot of individuals who find it very difficult, if not impossible, to ever really get beyond that. I mean, they experience the tragedy. They they get into a place of mourning and grief and, and difficulty. It's not that they live bitter, and some people do, but mm. but most people don't. But they just can't ever seem to get back up on top of knowing that, you know what, I don't know why this happened or how this turned out this way, but I'm here and God has something for me tomorrow and next yes. week and next month. And there's still purpose in life. That yes. he, I'm here to live. Talk about that. How, how do people who have gone through difficult, tragic, hurtful, painful things get beyond the, the play? I, I know you can't ever get over the loss of a loved one. I Correct. get that. Correct. But how do we reengage? life and the life that God has for us more specifically? I think, Brian, that that question is probably one of the deeper ones that anybody that's a a thinking individual and is observing the culture, life, the world with any kind of open-heartedness at all has to reckon with, we talked about it before we began, if God is good, Mm -hmm. if he loves, then why does he let Mm -hmm. bad things happen to good people. Right. 
And the age old question. And and honestly, Brian, I don't think that's a good question. I have I have difficulty with that. It's a reasonable one. I understand it, but I think we are not understanding God's intent in putting us here, and and we're we're discounting several things. Number one, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Number one, there aren't any good people. The Bible, <laughs> the Bible says nobody's good. Right. Only God's good. Yeah. So there aren't good people. Why does God let bad things happen? Well, one example: Joseph is mistreated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, ends up serving his master in Egypt well, and then gets falsely accused and put in prison for two years. Isn't that bad? Isn't that a well, bad It's horrible. Thing? It's horrific. And yet it jo- broke his father's heart. Exactly. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So I, there aren't good people. I really don't know what a bad thing is. And then my biggest problem with that question is, why did God let? Mm-hmm. And the problem with that question is it, it communicates the idea that God is standing off at a distance, watching us in our mess with his arms folded, and he doesn't care. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same thing Lucifer did, the snake did in the garden, when he came up to Eve and said, did he tell you that it was good to make you wise, that it good for food? Did he tell you that? He's casting doubt yeah. on the Lord's motives toward Adam and Eve. The problem there, uh, Brian, with with that question, why does God let, is not that God allowed anything. He gave the earth to us. Yeah. The Bible says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to the sons, daughters of men. We're supposed to be the stewards. We're supposed to be the managers. If you own the store and I'm your assistant and then you tell me what to do, over the weekend while you're going to a conference and I've got it from Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, make sure it's closed on Sunday, reopen on Monday, you come in Monday at noon. You gave me the store. It's mine to deal with. Yeah. Well, if Saturday night I forget to turn the security system on and, and the store gets robbed Sunday at midnight, that's not, it's not the owner's fault. It's my, I'm the, I was the manager. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, 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 the money's been stolen product's been taken, damage in the store. That's not on you. That's on me because you gave to me the right. Now, I, that's a real simple picture of a very complex circumstance. But the point is, the first thing wrong with that question, why does God let, is he didn't let it. He gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And the mess down here is not God's fault. Number two, there is an adversary, the enemy, and some people don't believe that the devil exists. I am utterly persuaded that he does and that he is the only explanation for some of the perverse wickedness in yeah, the world. No doubt. And he is absolutely, resolutely set against the Lord and his ways, especially in human beings. Mm-hmm. And the reason why in that story in Genesis where Lucifer comes as a snake to tempt Adam and Eve is because they were the ones who were the managers. He didn't tempt the cows because the, the cows weren't in charge. Adam and Eve were in charge, so he goes after the leaders. So the earth's stewardship is really ours, and the enemy is trying to destroy all that and dishonor the Lord and, and ruin us. But the last point is there's still a freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. God loves you and me, and he wants that love response back. 
you know, on the day of our wedding, if, if Nancy to me or Sabrina to you, when the pastor turned to her and said, will you take Brian to be your husband? And she went, I will love Brian Holmes with all of my heart. I will follow him all of my days. You just said, time out, forget this. We're not doing that. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know you're, you're wanting, you're giving your heart to her. You're wanting her heart back. God gives his heart to us. And then he says, love the Lord with all your heart. He wants the heart back. Yeah, yeah. So for that to be legitimate, we can't be puppets. We can't be robots. We have to have the freedom to choose. So now let's complicate this whole thing. We've got managers on the planet, human beings. We are the managers, and we're not always making the best decisions. Mm-hmm. We have an adversary who hates that vision in our life, and so he's opposing our being effective in that way. And number three, I can still, I can still make bad decisions. Yeah. Even as a follower, I can make bad choices. And so now it's not just me. There's several billion people in the history, and the momentum of all those bad choices is coming through our culture. So it's, we're in a warfare environment from the get-go. Yeah, exactly. It's not strange. So I'm not trying to be hopeless. I'm trying to reckon with the reality of don't think that we're just at the, at, the, at the whim of some kind of cosmic force that we can't do anything about, and God's not standing off in the distance seeing how we do it and with his arms folded doesn't care. That's not it. We're being, we are managers who've been given the privilege and the responsibility and the honor of stewarding his kingdom, his life, his resources in the earth, and we're in a war in the process. All the more reason why practical things like not only personally hearing his voice, but having friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord mm-hmm. who have the same heart to walk together because no army consists of one soldier. Yeah. So if I could sum, sum up some of those thoughts with on a practical level, when, when Hades breaks out, when hell breaks loose, uninvited, you wake up and everything's okay, and by, and by lunch, everything but heaven is in your life, I, there needs to be a place where I've heard a word in the depths of my being, the depths of my, my heart that I can stand on that I know is not going to shake. And number two, practically, if there's any way to get somebody else to walk with me through that mm-hmm. so that I'm not by myself. Yeah. I, here, here's something that just comes to my mind. What do you say to the person who, who really wants an answer to the question, why? Mm. My, my experience, just for a second, my experience is that there are some things that we will go through and walk through that we may never have the answer to. I agree totally. And, you know, I my my immediate reference point goes back to my favorite book in the Bible, which is Isaiah, where it says, my ways are above your ways, my Correct. thoughts above your thoughts. And then there's other scriptures that, that refer to the fact that there are some things we just simply won't understand. Correct. And so I wonder how much time we how much time and energy we waste insisting on pursuing an answer to a question that God is not probably going to give us as opposed to taking that same energy, that same faith and trust and just saying, all right, I, I may never know this answer, but I, I, I'm going to see what is God saying for my tomorrow? What do I do yes, now? Sir. What do you say to that? I, I don't know how to say it better than you just did. I really don't because I think sometimes there are reasons why there are cause yeah, and effect. Absolutely, this, this could be a, the result of a bad choice I made 
yep. three months ago, and yep. here's the harvest of it. It could be the momentum of family junk. Yes, yes, bloodline stuff. I, I believe I know, in that. I know you've talked about that, and and I think that's one of the main ways the enemy tries to control our lives is something that my great-great-granddaddy did I never even knew. Yeah, yeah. And his uncleanness, his perversion, whatever. But all that can tend to make me feel hopeless or restricted or no mm-hmm. way out. Jesus came to set us free from that, even to break off the force of that generational momentum. So, but I agree with you totally. I think many times we're spending so much mental, emotional, spiritual, physical energy to try to figure out something mm-hmm. with, our, mm-hmm. with our brains to put all these boxes in the same, in the right order. And, and it's one of those things where the Lord says, I need you to trust me beyond all these questions and, and put your energy into your love of me, my ways, and the people I want to, you to bless still, yeah. that I yeah. want you to serve, that I yeah. want you to give to. Uh, I, I don't know a better way to say it when you said it. You know, I, I think, uh, and, and you and I have probably both preached this sermon a thousand times, but you know, Philippians chapter three, where Paul said, uh, you know, I, I've experienced a lot of things, but one thing that I'm, I'm dead set on doing, I'm not going to f- obsess on things that are behind me because I can't change any of it. Exactly. Now, I, I do believe it's right and honorable to have to, uh, you know, for example, if someone loses a loved one, yeah. you can't forget the person no, and you no, can't dishonor no, them. You, no. It's not like you're going to just like throw them under the bus or under the curb and just say, I'm, I'm moving on. Correct. We do have to move on, but we, we do so in a way that honors them. Yes. But at the same time, you, you cannot live your life for them. True. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how do we help individuals to, in the right context, in the right way, to, to, to put things in their past and let them stay there and, and sort of re, turn, repent, really, which mm. is turn, to mm. repent from that obsession and, and say, okay, now how can I be obsessed with the plans, the destinies, the, the, the blessing that God has in front of me here? What do I, how do we make that shift? I think that's another. It's a human challenge. Oh, it's it's <laughs> it's a massive one, and it's very real. It is. It's so real. And and too often, it seems to me that we we either obsess over it inappropriately, or we gloss it over as if it doesn't exist. And I think we dishonor when there's been a loss of a, a family member, a dear loved one, or whatever. The it's a dishonor to them to act like well. I'm okay and just buck up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Because grief needs to be processed. It's Absolutely. A, it's, it's a very real thing. And to ignore it is simply to create future problems because I didn't address it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob meets the Lord there at the Peniel, the place called Peniel, and he limps from that day forward. Mm-hmm. And it was an encounter with God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a devilish attack, no, but, no. but he's physically restricted from that moment forward yep. there's a in, in paul's words to timothy he said one of the qualifications of a deacon is that they can hold the mystery of the faith in a good conscience so i'm saying lord what, what are you talking about and he said mike you ever been through rough stuff i said yes sir you're anything that you don't understand about why i didn't answer some prayers you prayed yes sir can you explain why I, I, your first baby died 30 
six years ago. I said, no, sir, I cannot. Do you still trust me? Yes, sir, I do. My mind can't resolve it. Mm. But my heart, where am I going to go, Brian? Yeah. Who am I, am I going to go to? Am I going to go to Hinduism? And am I going to go to Buddhism? Am I going to go to Islam? Am I going to go to Scientology? Am I going to go to money? Am I to find answers for that kind of heart pain? The, the God of all comfort, mm-hmm. he's called. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. I can't make a smarter decision than trusting the one who made us and the one who loves us the most. And even though there's times I cannot explain the pain in my own life that's unresolved, how can I explain someone else's except I can recommend to you without any hesitation that this Jesus is not just a sermon title. He's not just a guy that lived a while ago. He is, he is our best friend, the only one who can break the chain of guilt and fear and shame off of us. And he's trustworthy even when we can't explain why. And that just sounds like so much, well, you guys play the God card. Yeah, I do. <laughs> because there's... there's, there's is, is there a better card? There, I'm there wondering. Is, there isn't. And, and there's two, there's two, there, there are enough places when my understanding fails. And, but my heart, I am utterly persuaded that when my last breath is taken... My next breath will be in front of him, and I will be see him as he is, and we'll go. I'm going to look at him and say, "You did it the best way." Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it then, but I, and that's my confidence with that. You know, as long as we've known each other, and and as deep as our relationship is, I didn't know really about uh, you and Nancy baby. losing your first baby. I had no idea about that. Imagine 36 years ago if you had somehow gotten stuck there. Oh. Because in the last, for those that don't know, in the last 36 years, this this man sitting across the desk from me today has touched the lives of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people all over the world in various ways, in all kinds of settings and contexts, because at that point, through difficulty, you elected to, even though you didn't understand, and still today don't understand, don't 36 understand. years later don't understand, and it still hurts in your heart. Yes. But but, does, but but trusting him even without knowing correct, and then moving forward from there, knowing that his his plans did not cease without he says holding the faith the mystery of the faith in a good conscience, mm. and I'm telling you, Brian, I got I've got questions for the Lord, but I am not I don't have an impure conscience toward him. I'm not jaded. Mm-hmm. I have all kinds of questions. All kinds of things I can't explain. And there have been many times people with broken hearts have sat in front of me and said, why? And I've said, I don't know why. Mm. But can I still be loyal to him from my heart? Hold the mystery of the faith, unexplainable issues, and still move forward without being jaded or intimidated. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's powerful. That is powerful. So one last thing before we wrap up the episode, what would you say to someone Mm. who is right now going through hell? Maybe it's a, uh, 
a horrific issue in a marriage. Maybe it's the end of a marriage. Maybe mm. maybe it's a, a young man or a young woman who is experiencing their family being ripped apart. Maybe it's uh, a boy or a girl who is without a father because of whatever circumstance. Maybe it's someone who's lost a loved one or a child. Maybe it's someone who is, as you most recently experienced, going through unexplicable sickness and pain and, and suffering just out of nowhere. What would you say to a person who's going through hell right now? The first thing I want to say to anybody listening is there is no way I can know what you're going through. Mm. People's, people say, well, I lost a baby, or I, and so I know what you're going through. No, I don't. Because your hellish circumstance is unique, and I can hear you. I might have some grasp of some of it, but there's no way I can know. And I would never want to be flippant or cavalier about that kind of issue, act like, well, just buck up and you'll be okay. That's, that's inappropriate. Absolutely. The promises that I held on to, Brian, included one from the little book of Nahum <laughs> in the first chapter. And I saw this verse about seven or eight years ago, and it says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm. Wow. And I, I thought about storms in the Bible. Jonah's storm was because he disobeyed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do those, okay? Let's, right. Let, let's avoid those. But the storm with the Gadarene demoniac, before Jesus crossed the lake, mm-hmm. this storm rises, rises up. He's, he's asleep in the boat. The disciples are afraid, and, and they wake him up, and he rebukes the storm. And then there's the one a few chapters later where he's not even in the boat, and he's walking on the water, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's taking authority. Just he's not he's not rebuking it; he's just walking on top of it. And then Paul's storm in Acts twenty-seven, two weeks up and down, up mm-hmm. and down, up and down, two weeks nonstop. I think every sailor on that boat was green, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and yet, and Paul is the prisoner. Mm-hmm. Now let me tell you the Lord's way in that storm. Paul's the prisoner on that boat. He is the lowest man in that circumstance. Everybody else, even the lowest shipmate is higher than him. He's the prisoner. And they have given up. Listen to what it says in Acts 27. They've given up all hope that they will survive. Mm. Paul goes down into the bottom of the boat and says to the Lord, is there anything you want to say? And the Lord says, I give you every man on this boat. Paul is the prisoner, and God makes him the owner of the ship. He wow. comes up out of the bottom of that boat. Now, the storm's still raging, but there's a word now. There's a word. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm. He has his way. Paul comes up and says, guys, we're going to lose the boat, but nobody's going to die. And they lost the boat, and everybody lived and the island they landed on, everybody heard the gospel, including the king. The Lord has his way. And I want to say to all your listeners, Brian, I don't understand your storm. And I wouldn't dare to act like I did because I don't. But the promise is the Lord has his way for you in the whirlwind and the storm. And if you can get under the sheet in your bed, if you can go down to the basement of your house, 
or crawl in the car in the garage and ask him, is there anything you want to say to me Yeah. in this storm? I believe he has his way. He'll speak to you, and he'll move you from being the prisoner to the owner. Amazing. Mike Massa, this is a, one of those really cool God moments, huh? <laughs> and yeah. I, I am convinced that there are many, many people that uh, this episode is designed to, to touch, and I'm so grateful that you took time to come by today. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we just crossed over 100 episodes well, a couple weeks ago. Praise the Lord, that's great. And I apologize that it's taken me this long to, to drag you over here. but <laughs> Not at all. We'll do it more often. Thank you, man. sir. Thanks all for right. being here. Bye-bye. Well, folks, uh, I, I want to say to you as we wrap up today, whatever it is that you are going through, there's hope. And, in fact, I believe there's purpose in it, as you've just heard. And I want to encourage you, when you're going through hell, whatever it is, just look up. Know that the God who created you and has great plans for your life is with you and will keep you in the storm. Well, I trust that this was a powerful and momentous episode for you. I know that it was for me personally. You want to find out more about Mike Massa? Go to teamconvergence.com teamconvergence.com there'll be a link in the show notes about that I want to remind you too that we are still in the pre-launch phase of the Ties That Bind online course and to find out more about that go to brianholmes.com forward slash ties we have a few days left before our pre-launch pricing shifts and changes but we'd love for you to engage with that it's a powerful course it will change your life I guarantee it And uh, we want you to engage with us there. Well, also, you can find all the links and show notes for the episode at brianholmes.com forward slash 102. We encourage you to engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+. If you've not subscribed to our weekly email updates, be sure to do that. Uh, Just on the homepage of the website, you can tap in there. Also, to the podcast and iTunes, give us a rating, a review. That'll help us greatly in becoming more visible with those that need to know about what's happening here at brianholmes.com. Well, again, I trust that something we've shared today has been a blessing to you, has challenged you to persevere, to move forward, to focus your attention on what lies ahead. And we just pray that you're healed from your past, transformed in your mind and in your heart, that you engage all that God has for you in your future. Well, share this with your friends, your associates, and until next time, may God richly bless you. We'll see you back here very, very soon.